Good evening, this is Elliot for the Third Eye, Radio Blue Mountains, RBM 89.1. Good evening and welcome to the show. We'll just run through the local weather, 24.2 degrees here tomorrow and expected of about 31. It's going to be a bit of a scorcher, lovely. After all this rain, the time is 29 past 8 and uh, I don't think I have to go into news just in, it's probably the same, COVID, 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 all right, <laughs> traffic, uh, it looks pretty okay everything's going up and down the hill there are a couple of sirens before but there's nothing no news here that's sort of telling us why um okay uh, home transport yes the usual suspects down at central station there's some track work going on for anybody who is needs the lifts or escalators just uh beware uh you're going to probably have uh, there will be probably a long way around unfortunately all righty um let's get into the show tonight Ooh. Got a biggie coming up, split into two sections. Um, I am no expert on this stuff, but one of the things that fascinated me was the subject of ancient Jewish mysticism, Kabbalah or Kabbalah, as a lot of Australians call it. <laughs> okay, um, hopefully I was pronouncing that correctly. But anyway, and then in the second half of the show, we're going to be tipping our hat to a lot of Australian. Oz homegrown, ambient and chilled composers. Alrighty, here we go. Kabbalah. Let's have a look at it. The origins of Kabbalah. A great many Kabbalistic works, even today, make the claim that the Kabbalah was a body of esoteric knowledge given to Moses on Mount Sinai, thus linking it to the very inception of Jewish law. The suggestion is that God dictated the five books of the Bible to Moses and then provided a secret key their interpretation. As I mentioned before, welcome to the show from around the world where you're listening, is uh, I'm no expert on this stuff and to be honest, traditionally from what I understand with Kabbalah was you had to be over 40, have been one of the top uh, rabbi or priests within the uh, Jewish uh, religion. And you had to be pretty well read about the whole subject. And then, even then, only uh, a quarter of the uh, 
prospects were chosen to go through and learn about Kabbalah. Now, especially since the 1990s with uh, people like Ashton Kutcher and Madonna, etc., have all put Kabbalah back in the spotlight because it's become quite um, popular. So no longer, uh, especially since the 1800s, have we needed to fulfill the previous very, very uh, steep criteria and um, very, very, probably quite sexist in a way, but at the same time, history's history, isn't it? Alrighty, but moving forward, let's learn a bit about this stuff. Now, somebody, uh, w when I was do doing some uh, learning about this, somebody said that you could even go back to the book of Genesis within the uh, Hebrew Bible and if you applied gematria, which is one of the disciplines of Kabbalah, to, which is the, like modern numerology, if you applied numerology, you would come out with actually a different meaning of the first five books of the Bible, which is um, little things like instead of Adam and Eve being kicked out of the Garden of Eden, they kicked God out. Now, one of the things that uh, Kabbalah has been very, very useful as outline, out using a, as a template and, and um, has even been used in modern times, well, since the 1650s, in the, uh, to uh, overlay with the major arcana suit of the tarot because there are within the major arcana or fifth suit of the tarot cards there are 22 cards and correspondingly interestingly there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet as with many ancient cultures and religions when you put letters together even like the, the, uh, the Viking runes one can create magic and spells. So just before we get into it, I'm going to share a little bit of uh, music that sets the scene for us. And we'll be back very, very shortly. This is Shofar in a Mix from the album Love Sessions.
Welcome back to The Third Eye. I'm your host, Elliot. Tonight, I'm going to be taking some extracts from some wonderful publications. The first one is Tarot and Kabbalah by Marcus Katz and Tali Goodwin. And The Magician's Kabbalah by the same. The Kabbalistic Tarot which is a textbook of mystical philosophy by Robert Wang. And last but not least, Tarot and the Tree of Life, finding everyday wisdom in the minor arcana. Alrighty. Andrea Green, who wrote Kabbalah and the Tarot, a step-up guide, is a pen name and she writes what is Kabbalah? Kabbalah a Hebrew word meaning handed down or oral tradition is the term used to to denote a general set of esoteric or mystical teachings originally held within Judaism but later promulgated to a wider audience in the 12th century onwards through centres of learning such as Spain. It consists of a body of teachings and analysis dealing with the nature of the universe, aspects of divinity and the method of creation. From this set of teachings is derived the role of man in the revealed scheme of things. The Kabbalah and its teachings passed across into the magical philosophy, primarily by transition through medieval Christian thinkers who saw in Kabbalah a model and validation for their own tradition. From the late 15th century, Jewish converts to Christianity brought Kabbalistic views to the attention of other theologians. McGregor Martha's who lived from 1854 to 1918, who was incidentally very instrumental in the formation of the magical society in London, known as the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. He translated an essential work of Kabbalah in 1887, which was published as The Kabbalah Unveiled. and alongside already existing translations of the Sefer Yetzirah. This provided the Kabbalistic backbone of the Golden Dawn Society, from which issued many of the more recent occult Kabbalists, such as Dion Fortune, who summarized the Sephiro in her magical Kabbalah, 1935, and Alastair Crowley. The mystic author and Golden Dawn member, A.E. Waite, also produced many works examining the secret tradition of Kabbalah. The body of teaching has various traditions and groupings of belief, but most hold as their central model a diagram generally composed of 10 circles joined by 22 lines entitled the Ots Chi'im or the Tree of Life. 
These circles represent the ten concepts called sephiro. The Hebrew word meaning numerical emanations. And they are said to represent every aspect of existence. The lines connecting them are termed paths. You may have heard the term pathwork. And are taken to represent the nature of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, which, unlike English and similar languages, are also concepts and numbers equally. The sephiro are also seen as paths, and the full tree has 32 paths. Andrea Green goes on to say, I try and always refer to the sephiro using the same word, as I do not like to use the word spheres, as it's lazy and limits my imagination. It could get me to think of them as actual or imaginary spheres when they are more than that. They are numerical emanations of the divine, which compose the entire universe, not just ten coloured spheres. Another tradition, this is taken from the Kabbalistic Tarot, a textbook of mystical philosophy by Robert Wang. This is from page 20. Another tradition popularized in the 15th century and one taught by the Golden Dawn to its members, stated that Kabbalah was first provided by angels to Adam as the means of return after the fall. McGregor Mathers, quoted from Christian Ginsberg in his introduction to the Kabbalah Unveiled. The Kabbalah was first taught by God himself to a select company of angels who formed a theosophic school in paradise. After the fall, the angels most graciously communicated this heavenly doctrine to the disobedient child of earth to furnish the protoplasts with the meaning of returning to their pristine nobility and felicity. From Adam, it passed over to Noah, and then Abraham, the friend of God, who emigrated with it to Egypt, where the patriarch allowed a portion of this mysterious doctrine to ooze out. It was this way in this way that the Egyptians obtained some knowledge of it and the other Eastern nations could introduce it into their philosophical systems. Moses, who was learned in all the wisdom of Egypt, was first initiated in the, into the Kabbalah in the land of his birth, but became most proficient in it during his wanderings in the wilderness when he not only devoted to it the the leisure hours of the whole 40 years, but received lessons in it from one of the angels. By the aid of this mysterious science, the lawgiver was enabled to solve the difficulties which arose during his management of the Israelites, in spite of the pilgrimages, wars and, and frequent miseries of the nation 
He covertly laid down the principles of this secret doctrine in the first four books of the Pentateuch, but withheld them from Deuteronomy. It is perhaps sad, but this charming story bears no relationship to historical fact. The Kabbalah, having emerged as a result of a long and complex developmental sequence beginning with the Merkaba mysticism. Merkaba, meaning chariot, was the earliest form of Jewish mysticism preceding the Kabbalah. The chariot was that which with carried the throne of God as described by the prophet Ezekiel, the throne world, to which the Jewish mystic aspired to being the counterpart of the early mysteries of Hermeticism and Christian Gnosticism. The second century witnessed the merger of a great many trends, and Sholem states flatly that the Kabbalah in its historical significance can be defined as the product of the interpretation of Jewish Gnosticism and Neoplatonicism. In the late Roman early Christian period were found Christian Gnosticism, Jewish Gnosticism, Neoplatonism, Neopythagoreanism, Hermeticism, Pseudo-Egyptian religion and many obscure cults all interpreting in subtle ways. Jewish mysticism of this time is discussed by Sholem in his pioneering study, major trends in Jewish mysticism, while the Christian developments have been chronicled in a readable way by Ilin Pegels in the Gnostic Gospels. These scholars trace the actual sources of ideas disputed for generations, which are the basis of modern Hermetic Kabbalah. What is important to recognize is that one need not invoke the smokescreen of secret oral tradition in most aspects of the mysteries. The majority of those who have contributed to the Kabbalah have been very explicit about their work and its sources. There is little in any modern system for which historical precedent cannot be found. going to go to a song now this next one uh, well the, the current backing piece is actually from the themes of the uh, the tarot the Kabbalistic tarot as used by the International Tarot Association and it's called the ace of coins the piece coming up is called Kabbalah, Kabbalah Melody by the artist, the Temple Players, from the album Shlomi, Jewish Holy Songs.
It's currently six past nine. You're listening to The Third Eye on Radio Blue Mountains, 89.1. We're streaming. And also we have a podcast, The Third Eye Show, on anchor.fm. If you'd like to catch up that later, uh, listen to any of the, the shows we've put to air so far in uh, retrospect... At your leisure, please feel free. If you'd like to contact the program, please uh, email us at the third eye show at gmail.com. Okay, let's get back into it. So tonight we're talking Jewish mysticism, otherwise known as Kabbalah or Kabbalah. All right, so let's hook in and let's see what we've got. The next, next up, we've got the Sefer Yetzira, the Book of Formation. The Sefer Yetzira. This book of six very brief chapters, dating from sometime between the third and the 6th century CE is the cornerstone of Kabbalistic literature and the document in which the word Sephiro first appears. It is a work which describes the creation of the universe in terms of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet and in terms of symbolic number undoubtedly related to Neo-Pythagoreanism the Sefer Yetzirah is apparently a summation of earlier ideas in Jewish mysticism, similar in form to Gnosticism and the Pistis Sophia. The precise origin and intention of the Sefer Yetzirah is a matter of speculation. One writer of the early 1900s, with all good intentions, even suggests that this, that this mystical text was no more than a book of grammar, and as the earliest Hebrew grammar contains not only the fundamental rules of Hebrew orthography, but also an account of the origin of letters and numerals. Of course, this theory is not to be taken seriously, but it does demonstrate the extremes of interpretation to which Kabbalistic documents have been subjected. On the other hand, the Sefer Yetzirah is a very difficult and obtuse work. So abstract that it demands an approach atypical of that taken to most literature. And when in, used in concert with the, the tarot, the work becomes remarkably useful. Ideally, the Sefer Yetzirah should be read in the original Hebrew, but a number of translations have been made into English it should be noted that a later document entitled The 30, 32 Paths of Wisdom is usually included with the Sefer Yetzirah. I'm going to share with you a little piece from Shabbat.org and their basic introduction to the Kabbalah. It is important to realize that the Kabbalah is more about losing ourselves than about finding. Becoming more other-centered and less ego-centered. 
the literal translation of the word Kabbalah, is that which is received. To receive, we must be receptive. We must open ourselves, creating a vessel in which to absorb that which we wish to understand or grasp, and in turn become part of Kabbalah. To open the self to a higher reality, to view the spirit within the matter, to raise our consciousness to the point where our perception of reality is completely changed and the divine within all creation is revealed. There's an ancient story that talks about Kabbalah, where four students of Kabbalah entered a temple. Of the four, only one survived. So there has been a very guarded, traditionally, a one-on-one -on -one orally passed on tradition where potential students who fulfilled the criteria of being over 40, a rabbi and well-versed in the Torah, they would be tested and most would be deemed unfit. So let's carry on now into the medieval stage of Kabbalism and returning to an extract from Robert Wang's book The Kabbalistic Tarot, a textbook of mystical philosophy. The Sefer Yatira sets the stage for much later Jewish mysticism by amalgamating various mystical currents into a Jewish context. The earliest extant Hebrew text of systematic and speculative thought, its ideas were built upon by later scholars. For example, where the very word sephiro was originally used to mean simply numbers or numerical stages in creation, in the Middle Ages that word came to mean a specific system of divine emanation. One of the most important ideas to be added by late medieval scholars was that the numerological links could be found between words and thus between concepts, including, as we mentioned before, gematria, which is Hebrew numerology. The introduction of gematria served two purposes. First, it helped to assure that scribes would spell names precisely as received. Second, it tended to serve as an incentive for serious meditation on the names. Sometime between 1150 and 1200, in southern France, another very important Kabbalist work appeared. This was the Sefer Ha-Bahir, supposedly an ancient work but more likely edited from several works of either German or Eastern origin. The Bar here 
contains the first reference to a secret tree and is the first to describe the Sephiro as the vessels of divine light. An English translation of the work by R.A. Kaplan has recently been published. The 13th century work was especially pivotal, pivotal for the Jewish Kabbalah. It was during this time that Isaac the Blind, a scholar from Narbonne, wrote his comments on the Sefer Yetzirah, first describing it as involving a systematic development of Sephiro. He also built on the, some of the ideas expressed in the Bahia, as did others in his day. The result of study of the Sefer Yetzirah in the terms of the Bahia was that scholars began to discuss the ten Sephiro and the 32 paths together. Another major idea appearing at this time in France and Spain was that there were evil Sephiro existing as exact counterparts to the good. This concept was extensively developed by some of the members of the Golden Dawn fraternity later on from 1888. It was in this climate of mystical intellectual fruition that the greatest of all Kabbalist treatises appeared. The Zohar was the work of Moses de Leon. Between 1280 and 1286, it is a series of commentaries on the Bible and on mystical cosmology. We're now going to go to a tune called Vatana Libenu, translating as Purify Our Heart by Tal Sklut from the album Kabbalah.
That was Madonna with Frozen, probably single-handedly in the 1990s, put Kabbalah back on the map of the world. Quite a quite an effort. She's a big student. That was Hava Nagila, of course, by Leonard Bookman from the album Shalom. Okay, so let's get back to the show. For generations, the Zohar was believed to be an ancient work. The text itself supports, purports to have been written by a second century rabbi, Simeon ben Yohai. Moreover, the Zohar is written primarily in ancient Aramaic a language which is the root of both Hebrew and Arabic. Presumably, Moses de Leon felt that his work would be taken more seriously 
if attributed to an ancient author. He was probably correct, for the Zohar quickly assumed major proportions as the document of Jewish mysticism. It should be added that between approximately 1500 and 1800, the Kabbalah was widely considered to be the true essence of Jewish theology, rather than the curiosity that it is today amongst Jewish people. Unfortunately, the Zohar has never been translated completely into a European language. The five-volume English set by Maurice Simon and Harry Sperling is competent, but represents about 35% of the work. The translators chose to eliminate those parts which they believed to be later editions or unduly obscure. Three of those admitted, omitted texts, however, are to be found in the Kabbalah Unveiled, translated by Nor von Rosen, um, Rosenroth's Latin Kabbalah Denudata of 1677, to which a modern introduction was added by McGregor Marthas again. Recently, a brilliant and readable three-volume anthology of Zohar texts in English has appeared. It is The Wisdom of the Zohar by Isaiah Tishi, published by Oxford University Press. There is only one complete translation into a modern language, and that is Hebrew. The 21-volume translation and commentary by the late Yeshuda Ashlag is described by Sholem as an extremely literal translation, but not without many textual misunderstandings. The key to modern hermetic Kabbalah in, is the Renaissance mind which blended Jewish Kabbalah and hermetic mysteries. During this period of intense intellectual activity, philosophers encountered previously hidden currents of Jewish mysticism and attempted to adapt the, uh, these ideas to a Christian framework. It was even asserted that through the Kabbalah, one could most effectively prove the divinity of Christ. The Renaissance was a time when man considered himself the jewel in a universal crown. He was the measure of all things, rather than the lowly sinner atoning for the fall, as had been insisted by medieval dogma. Thus, intellectual and creative activity, a constant questioning of principles, came to be of greater importance than the institutionalized values of the past. In more basic terms, one can say that what has been a church-dominated society became secularized. The beliefs and feelings of the medieval period were supplanted by the call for a more rational overview of the human condition. The society was nominal, nominally Christian, but the theologians and philosophers had a very free hand. This freedom to doubt and explore some of the most basic principles of Christianity reached its high point at the Medici Academy in Florence. In fact, virtually all modern occultism can be traced back to the developments of scholars in that time and place.
The Medici were a family of immense wealth, ruling Florence from the 15th century until 1737. Their primary contribution was as patrons of the arts. A program begun by Cosimo, the first of the great Medici, and continued by Lorenzo the Magnificent, patron to Leonardo, Michelangelo, and Machiavelli. Cosimo de' Medici was the founder of the Platonic Academy, dedicated to the study of Greek philosophy and a center of Neoplatonic ideas. This was an open think tank, much like today's Institute for Advanced Studies at Princeton University. Cosimo was a passionate collector of manuscripts and when, in 1460, a Greek manuscript of the Hermetica came to him from Macedonia, he judged it to be of unique importance. The reputation of Hermes Trismegistus' work as providing a key to all knowledge was so considerable that Cosimo instructed Marsilio Ficino, director of his academy, to put aside Plato's Republic and Symposium and translate the Hermetica first. Thanks for joining us tonight. We're on the third eye. I'm your host, Elliot Reynolds, and tonight we're talking Jewish Kabbalah or Kabbalah. We're taking an extract from the Kabbalistic Tarot, a textbook of mystical philosophy by Robert Wang. Early Renaissance philosophers believed that in these documents they had the core ideas of the most ancient Egyptian religion, which would lead them to the very source of illumination. Their awestruck approach and the belief in the utter integrity of these papers was the foundation of Renaissance magic and a whole school of Neoplatonism, Neoplatonism, pardon me. It was these ideas which preceded the Kabbalistic philosophy soon after flowing into the Medici Academy. What is known as the Christian Kabbalah was also a development of the Medici Academy and the primary accomplishment of Pico della Merendola, one of the court's intellectual luminaries. It was Pico who had the major Kabbalistic texts translated into Latin, and it was Pico who, in his 72 Kabbalistic conclusions, part of his 900 theses, made the claim that no science can better convince us of the divinity of Jesus Christ than the magic and Kabbalah. Pico's 14th Kabbalistic principles stated that adding the Hebrew letter Shin to the divine name Yod He Vau He, which Hebrew was actually written read from right to left, and producing Yeshua, Hebrew name of Jesus, made it possible to pronounce the unpronounceable name of God. And from the standpoint of modern Hermetic Kabbalah and the Golden Dawn, this is of special significance. Perhaps the most 
important single principle emphasized by today's Hermetic Kabbalah is that all things are four elements activated by a fifth, which is spirit. Yod is fire, He is water, Vau is air, He final is earth, and Shin is spirit. Just as a side note, dear listener, you can see how this later on was overlaid over the modern tarot, which is based on the same hermetic and platonic and Kabbalistic principles. Pico inspired the work of Johannes Reuchlin, the first non-Jewish person ever to write on the Kabbalah. His premise was that the history of mankind is based on three periods. In the first period, God revealed himself to the Jewish patriarchs through the threefold name, Shaddai. The second period was that of Moses and the Talmud, when God appeared as the four-lettered name, the Tetragrammaton. Finally came the period of man's redemption through Christ when God revealed himself as the five-lettered Yeshua. Thus Pico della Mirandola and Johannes Röcklin became the founders of the philosophical aspects of Christian Kabbalism. The first practical work of their school was produced by Henry Cornelius Agrippa, whose De Occult Philosophia in 1531 was widely read and is now still found in quality bookshops but is quite rare. It is however Agrippa who is responsible for the very negative association of Kabbalah with witchcraft and sorcery. A belief held by many even today. All of these literary works had been stimulated by social developments in the West. Most of the, much of the intellectual current of the 15th century can be traced to the conquest of the Byzantine Empire by the Turks in 1453 and the subsequent migration of the Greek scholars to Italy. A similar trend occurred in 1492 when the Jews were expelled from Spain and many Jewish scholars also settled in Italy, moving onto ground prepared for them by Pico with his 900 theses of 1486. There was widespread interest in Hebrew mysticism by the end of the century, and advocates of Christian Kabbalah included the important Catholic prelates and theologians who viewed the Kabbalah as a vehicle for the intellectual renewal of the faith. Thus, Christian Kabbalah merged with the elements of Hermeticism came to be the primary occult current of the Italian Renaissance. The Renaissance attitude towards hermetic sciences was jolted sharply approximately 100 years later when Isaac Corsabon declared the Hermetica to be an early Christian forgery rather than an ancient Egyptian document. He stated that the books were written by a Christian or semi-Christian in an attempt to make these doctrines acceptable to Gentiles. Corsabon's work 
brought about a significant decline in interest in magic, a generally acceptable Renaissance pursuit until his revelations. Today, it is understood that the Hermetic documents are not specific forgeries, but they were produced even later than Corsabon believed. Despite Corsabon's overwhelming, overwhelming evidence, some writers, including Robert Flood and Athanasius Kircher, chose to ignore historical reality and continued to declare the hermetic fragments of the work of an ancient Egyptian adept named Hermes Trismegistus. The background music you're hearing here was composed by myself in the Blue Mountains at Songcave Studios. This is from the Ace of Coins, which will be from the upcoming album, Music for the Tarot, which is used for meditation and studies and contemplation and pathwork within the International Tarot Association. For more information, you can go to the Tarot Association online. There's plenty of links there, and you can find out more. Let's go now to a piece called Stargaze by Sarah Dukes. I found this, and she um, comes up and as being another one who studies the Kabbalah. Kabbalah. Okay, and this is from the album Life Sometimes. This is the third eye.
Friday, that was Stargaze by Sarah Dukes. Next up, we've got Prelude to a Dream by Shoshana Michelle from the album Prelude to a Dream. You're on the third eye. That was Prelude to a Dream 
by Shoshana Mitchell. Next up, next week, we've got in Karen Rolls, who's an eclectic witch, gifted with many gifts, including being psychic and a messenger for those who have passed over. That's next week. You're on the third eye.
Alrighty, that was beautiful. This is Landscape by Gondwana, Gondwana Land with Charlie McMahon. Charlie's the local Blue Mountains ditch player. What is by the by Colors of Spectrum from the album Obscure 22? And after that, we'll have Closed System by Leo James.
control, which they are powerless to. That's why we know what is not, and we know what is. Do you know what is? Next up, we've got Circumambulation by Amble from the album Spring Creek Road. You're listening to The Third Eye. Thanks for joining us tonight.
And it was part of Fractals by Tom Day and Jake Lowe from the album Fractals. Well, it's tarot time just before we finish. So we've just moved into Pisces. So let's uh, check out what we've got here. So that's the moon card for those tarot fans amongst us. Which, Kabbalistically speaking, is the path of Koph, Q-O-P-H, which is path 29 on the tree of life. The path of Koph connects the Sephiro, Netzach, which means victory, which with Malkuth. Malkuth, for those who are new to Kabbalah, or Kabbalah, is the earth plane on which we live. It's not heaven or anything underneath or uh, any sort of ascension. It's the things that are, you can touch, feel, smell, taste, etc. Work, labor, money, very, very uh, roof over your head, very, very practical things in, in the world of Malkuth. The kingdom. And it's described not only as the victory of the material world, the moon card, but as the deceptive effect of the apparent power of material forces. It has been called the gateway of resurrection, the threshold of life, or spiritual rebirth, which may be considered at two levels. First, in the course of incarnation, it is the stage of the soul's organization of the physical body, which it will inhabit. It is asleep, as attributed to Tkhof, by the Sefer Yetzirah, preceding the waking mortal consciousness, a form of pre-consciousness differentiating into matter from the collective unconsciousness of Netzach. Second, in terms of the spiritually developing individual, it is a conquest of the phantoms reflected from the material world, what the Golden Dawn described as the child of the sons of the mighty meaning the creations of the created. Yet this is the watery path of probation, where the student must face and conquer the phantoms of the darkest recesses of the individual mind, as well as those of the race. In that sense, it can be a terrible and frightening path, involving real dangers to the emotional stability of those who are not strong enough to handle this experience. Such inner disturbance may actually result in serious physical problems. On the other hand, tradition states that the successful treading of this path confers the power of bewitchments and casting illusions. When we slay the dragons of the deep recesses of our sleep consciousness and understand their mechanisms, we gain the capacity to manipulate those qualities in ourselves as well as those in others. The actual Hebrew meaning of kof or kof is back of the head. So you can sort of remember um, ancient pictures with halos and things like that. Uh -huh. Now, Pamela Coleman Smith's painting of the moon card was a crayfish in water leading up into a path that goes between a dog and a wolf, and then passes between two pillars 
and up over the horizon and the hills. Many people see the moon nowadays as something fluffy and beautiful, whereas the moon card, when the tarot was created, harks back to a time medieval-based time, or early Renaissance, when a walk in the woods in the moonlight was a bit more of a serious affair. There weren't street lights, there weren't mobile phones, there weren't police, and a howl from the woods you didn't know whether it was Dave and Joanne's dog next door or it was a pack of wolves coming to get you. All right, that's it. Elliot signing up from The Third Eye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's show and a little introduction, a little bit heavy, but um, at least an introduction into a, a, a topic that I think is worthwhile called Kabbalah or Kabbalah, from the Jewish mystic tradition. And we're going to finish off with uh, our little third eye theme here. And next week, Karen rolls. Psychic, clairvoyant. And she is totally awesome. She's going to be joining us on the show. Uh, she's one of these people who can grab your piece of jewellery and tell you a lot. God, shivers up my spine even talking about it. Okay, see you next week. Cheers for That's Elliot signing out for The Third Eye. Thanks for joining us from around the world. You're listening to Radio Blue Mountains 89.1. See ya and have a great week. <laughs>